Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Pash, ESPN and Arizona Cardinals broadcaster. My guest this week is a fellow announcer, Kevin Harlan, who works for CBS Television, Westwood One Radio, TNT TV, doing NBA games and college basketball. Kevin is one of the most accomplished broadcasters in the business. He has been doing high-level games on network television and radio for four decades. He's called so many memorable moments in sports history, and in particular NFL history, including this past Monday night when he was on hand for Aaron Rodgers' debut as the New York Jets quarterback, which unfortunately for Rodgers and Jets fans lasted only four plays. There was no visible sign of Aaron of, oh my God, I I know exactly what's happened, or oh my God, the pain is excruciating. I knew when he sat down, um, this was not good. Kevin also talks about what it's like working with former Cardinals quarterback and Hall of Famer Kurt Warner on the Westwood One Monday Night Football broadcast. We'll talk about a very important aspect to broadcasting, that's eating and what we do the night before games, as well as some of his favorite moments over the course of his long career in broadcasting. We are presented by BetMGM, the official partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. Use code CARDS1000 and get back up to $1,000 in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager. Arizona only. New customer offer. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. All right, time for our conversation with one of the greats in broadcasting history, Kevin Harlan. Well, Kev, the last time I saw you, I saw a lot of you. You were doing uh, Eastern Conference Finals for TNT. I was doing ESPN Radio. So we had a seven-game series, and I think we probably had at least 10 to 12 meals together. (laughs) And and is that not one of the more underrated aspects of what we get to do is finding a good restaurant and getting a good meal? Well, (laughs) you know what? It's more important. I think both of us would attest in finding – a uh, kind friend, and um, and while you and I have crossed paths over the years <clears throat> in the bubble or wherever, um, we have uh, uh, had this uh, nice friendship, but from afar. And the best thing about those meals you're talking about, having the, uh, the, the great opportunity in this business to be on a series like that, is to spend time together. Uh, I've told people for years that one of my favorite broadcasters is Dave Pash. And so for a chance to have that kind of time, which we really haven't, but had that kind of time face-to-face and meal-to-meal, uh, and then join with other people in our, in our little sphere covering that series was, uh, was definitely the best part of it. It may have been a seven-game series, but maybe for you and I, we enjoyed the stuff outside of it, and, and that was a part of the series outside of basketball. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I appreciate the kind words. The feeling is certainly mutual. I remember the one place. It was you, me, Doris Burke, Allie LaForce. It was somewhere in Miami, some exclusive place that I don't know how we got oh. into. And oh. you and I, though, were a little concerned because after about an hour and a half in, they just had appetizers. And you and I looked at each other like, okay, is this it? And then we were outside, and I was outside, and you came out, and you said, hey, come here. And we go back, and now there's this huge spread the problem is nobody told us that we were paying for all of it, and then we got the bill, and yeah, yeah. there went per diem for the month. Yeah, but the food was good, and the restaurant, don't you admit, was cool? I oh, mean, yeah. It was like one of those bucket lists. My, my daughters 
my daughters saw that we had gone there and they just went ballistic. Dad, you know how hard it is to get in there? Dad, that's one of the best restaurants in Miami. Like, everybody wants to go there. And you and I just thought we were just out for kind of another dinner. <laughs> and, yeah, and right, the bill was hefty, but it was nice. And, and yeah, you and I sat right next to each other, and we looked at it. He goes, I, I think you're the first. Go, Kev, I, I don't think there's enough here to feed us. I say, you know what? There's got to be another all-night place around here. We'll stop by as we go back to the hotel. <laughs> another, we'll, we'll have to stop it. But we didn't have to. And it was a nice night. And chance to be with Doris uh, and Allie, uh, people that we uh, just have so much respect for, and, and some other people. I guess some of the people that were in that group, and I, I don't know if we should – we won't name names. But they were like big social media slash like known internet people that you and I had no idea who they were. Yeah. They were there and they were eating with us, weren't they? The, I, I mean, I don't mind saying it because I don't remember his name, but it was the creator of Cameo yeah, who was sitting with us. We had no idea. We're like, so what do you do? He's like, oh, you ever heard of Cameo? I'm like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I invented it. <laughs> and, and it wasn't Cameo the rock group, the, the singing group. It was, this, was, this, was, this was Cameo the app. And, um, yeah, my, no, my daughters went just nuts when they saw where we were. And uh, I actually told my wife when I got back, I said, I said I've got a new place. I don't know if we can ever get in, but I'm going to try if we ever get to Miami, South Florida again uh, on a trip that we'll, uh, we'll make that a, a part. It was, it was a beautiful, beautiful place. And nice, but one of many, as you say, now, now at some of these meals, and we ate well, and, 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 but our group encompassed – a lot of really known and respected reporters, in addition to Allie, who was not with us every night, or Doris, who was not with us every night. We had some guys from your ESPN group that were there covering. Um, I, 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 we can say Brian Windhorst, can't we? Yeah. Can, and, oh, yeah. But it was, that, it was that kind of guy that was in this group, and it was so much fun. And, uh, yeah, it was really the best part of that two-week uh, Miami-Boston back and forth in the Eastern Conference Finals. Well, you work with Kurt Warner every Monday night during football season, and obviously Kurt has strong ties here to the Cardinals, still lives in Arizona. How, how much time do you guys get to spend together off the air? I know you're always coming from a Sunday game, and then you're always trying to get home to see your wife for a couple days before you you know, start all over again. Well, uh, the same schedule that you have. You know, it, 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 your weekend is, is ungodly, but I know that we both feel like how lucky are we to be in this position to get to do, um, you know, these kind of games and, and have that kind of life and and uh, and live out our dreams, right? As little kids, this is what we dreamed about, and here we are, here we are doing it. But uh, you know, one of the nice things, aside from uh, doing the game and, and being a part of it, is, is who you work with. I know you enjoy all the people that you work with at ESPN and with the Cardinals, and and I feel the same about Trent Green with my my CBS games on Sunday and. My Monday night partner, Kurt Warner, I, I don't know that I've met a more humble, kinder, more generous person than Kurt. And he is uh, the consummate uh, professional. Dave, you and I have talked about this. His, his study for each week of the NFL is off the charts. He will watch every snap of every game, usually does it the three hours were before our Monday night broadcast. He'll then go back to his room because nobody can sleep after a game that we do. And he'll stay up maybe to 2, 3 in the morning, as I'm sure he did a couple nights ago in, in the Meadowlands and at our hotel in Newark, that, that he, he would pour over more games and, and get ready. And so by Wednesday night, I think he has told me that not only has he taken copious notes of the games he has watched, but he's watched every snap of every game from the previous weekend. So he is, his preparation is just off the, off the chain. He's, 
he's incredible that way. And, and, and as you know, the confidence we have in how you and I prepare and other play-by-play guys prepare, you know, puts us in a comfort zone. But when you know that your analyst has maybe gone above and beyond that and done a completely different set of um, preparation things, it just makes you feel so confident when you put on that headset and go into the game. And, and that's what Kurt adds to our Monday night broadcast. He is prepared. He knows. He goes on the field and does a hit with the NFL Network uh, every pregame of these Monday night games, and they get the chance to talk with a couple coaches, a couple players, so he gets more of a pulse uh, just before kickoff of what each team is feeling and brings that to our broadcast. And, uh, but then just as the person, I, I, I love him. I love him as a friend. He's been so wonderful to me. Uh, we've grown close over the years. We've done 10 years of Monday night football together. And before that, I, had, I was lucky enough to work with Boomer Esiason and had the same exact relationship with boomers. So I've been blessed in so many ways. And, and, but one of the ways is having great partners on these Monday night broadcasts and just, I'm so thankful I have the chance and, and he's so respected. He's in the hall of fame clearly and has all that. But as a person, Kurt, uh, there's none better, none better. And I don't think I told you this story when I saw you, but uh, in 2009, which hard to believe that it's been 14 years since Kurt retired, but in 2009, he started kind of giving me a heads up that, hey, this this might be it. And obviously, I, you know, I was sworn to secrecy and didn't say anything. But he said, I want to, you know, look into broadcasting. Can you come up to the house and show me how to do a board and maybe just sit there and kind of do a mock game? So I did that with him. But part of the quote-unquote, like, initiation was I had to go play basketball with him at the YMCA. <laughs> And I'm telling you, now, this is a guy that just went to the Super Bowl, and we are playing basketball at the YMCA. He's got a mouth guard in. I mean, he oh, is, like, setting hard screens. Have you – Have you? I mean, he's so competitive, which I love. Um, have, you know, have, you know, have you seen that side of him, that competitive side come out? Well, you know, I, I, I do know that he is competitive about the business. Uh, I have not seen that side, but clearly no – for stories like yours or just what he did as an athlete and how you, to begin his NFL career was such a struggle and how he just would never take no and never uh, not give enough to where whatever his goal was. And clearly the goals were uh, within reach and, and beginning in 99 and on to the uh, you know Hall of Fame induction in Canton. He, is, he has met those challenges and is, is fueled by those challenges. And uh, But I love your story. It does shed another kind of, uh, you know, mark on him and just the kind of person he is and how he feels about life. I think he just feels that everything about life has a challenge and he wants to, whether he's the most prepared analyst or whether he's the best dad or the best husband, I just think he takes all these things in life very seriously, knows how blessed he is and, and, and how he has been able to live a life that he dreamt about and, and is living. So he's, he's, a, uh, and he's, a, he's a world-class eater, by the way. Um, there, are not, there are not many analysts, especially Hall of Famers, that leaving a press box with food laid out that may have been out for a couple hours is the kind of guy that will go get a plate full of what. And a couple nights ago, we're in the Meadowlands. We got a hamburger and a hot dog. I don't know how long they had been out there, Dave, but they, clearly hour upon hour <laughs> had been exposed. He grabbed it and took it back to his room so he could fuel more energy so he could watch <laughs> watch tape. So the guy is the guy is a machine and. And um, thrives on, he's taking late night flights after doing his stuff Sunday in the NFL Network studio. Then he flies home, 
to spend the afternoon with kids and grandkids and his wife Brenda in Phoenix, then goes back out to the Phoenix airport after arriving there from L.A. where he's done his show earlier that day, goes back out there about 10, 11 o'clock at night, something you have done, and takes a red eye to our Monday night game and then arrives at, you know, 5, 6 in the morning. And, and there he is when we get in the car at about 3, 3.30, and he's ready to go. He's, uh, and I always admire his stamina. It's, it's incredible, but he's fueled by all these things. And uh, so, the, so the why basketball pickup story with you probably, probably doesn't surprise me as much as it might surprise others. <laughs> well, you mentioned the game that you did, Kev, on Monday, and you and I were texting about it a little bit, but I'm, I'm curious – what was that like? What was the moment like for you calling the play that Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles? It's it may end up being the the most important moment in the NFL in 2023, and it happened very early in Week One. What was that like? What was your reaction? What were you guys talking about during the break? Did you both feel like you know when you had a chance to kind of take a breath that hey that that's an Achilles and he's done? Well, we were the first thing that kind of came out in the car as we're driving back to the hotel after the game was, think about our last two Monday night broadcasts that we've done. Going back to last year, it was DeMar Hamlin. We did that game in Cincinnati. And now the very next Monday night game we do is the opener in New York with Rodgers and the Jets against the Bills. And this happens four plays in. And we're thinking, holy smokes, like we have seen – two of the definitive moments over the last couple years in the NFL and moments that will resonate for years to come. And in those moments, you just clearly just try to report what you're seeing because we're doing, we're doing radio as you would do. And um, you just kind of uh, go with what your eyes are telling you. But the game then resumed, by the way, uh, unlike the Hamlin game, which was in limbo for quite some time, would it restart or would they call it? And they eventually, you know, called the game. Um, this, you know, he, they took him off. We're trying to follow the story of his examination in the blue tent and then his emergence and then getting on the cart and taken to the locker room wearing a boot. And um, the, the only thing that was perplexing about it was that there was no visible sign uh, outwardly of Aaron of, um, oh, my God, I, I know exactly what's happened or, oh, my God, the pain is excruciating. He just... He was stone-faced. He, he didn't he, – he, he got up to his feet. He, he, he put a little weight on that leg. He knew immediately – he knows his body very well. At this age, you've got to because you're trying to survive all the hits. So you know every inch of every part of your body and what it can sustain and when it doesn't feel right. And he knew. And he sat back down again and, again, did not make an expression. I knew when he sat down um, this was not good. Now, I, I didn't know it was an Achilles. I didn't know what it was. Uh, I wasn't even sure it was a leg or a knee. Uh, you, you just don't know, and you don't guess. But you can say, well, they've look, they're looking at the ankle, and that's what they we could see, and you, you say what you see. Um, as they say, when you see something, say something, and that's exactly what we did, kind of like with the Hamlin thing the year before in Cincinnati with the Bills again and the Bengals. So, um, But the emotion in that building, and you've, been, you've done many games at, at MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands, the, the the emotion in that building, Dave, was as he was carrying as he ran out with the American flag in a city that he clearly an area tri-state area that he is he is clearly embraced, and they have embraced him back, and represented everything that was a part of their season, 
Uh, and we know experts that pick them to go deep into the year, into the playoffs, with Rodgers if he were healthy. So for that to happen after the elation before the game and seeing now this quarterback, you know, wearing that number in their colors on the field, can then take the field for those fans was the kind of exuberance they haven't really had a chance to express, an emotion they haven't had a chance to experience in in such a long time. And then for it to end and stop in its tracks so early in the game and not even really get a chance to feel what it was like to celebrate a guy like that was, was the, the range of emotions from that and then, you know, then some life shown by the Jets and then eventually win it on the dramatic historical return for a punt by a rookie free agent in overtime. It made for a, 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 a myriad of emotions by broadcasters and certainly by Jet fans there. It, it was an in, incredible and incomparable Monday night, something that I can't recall except the Hamlin thing that had preceded it in the final Monday night game last year. Kev, you've done so many big games and called so many big moments over the years, whether it's NFL or college basketball or NBA. And obviously, I'm sure you'll never forget the DeMar Hamlin moment. You're probably not going to forget this game with Aaron Rodgers. Do do you have a handful of games? I'm sure you get asked this a lot that you'll that you recall vividly important moments or that you'll look back on and say, man, I can't believe I was there for that. Well, I, I don't know if it's just the stage of my career, Dave, and probably like you, the things that really stand out are the things that have happened in the last couple of years. If you go back for you and I 10, 15, 20, 25 years, well, some of that stuff kind of blends together, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, but, but, but some have been in the NCAA tournament. Um, um, there was this kid – for Weber State against North Carolina uh, back in 1999. I know I'm, I'm stretching back here, but, but a kid named Harold Arsenault who grew up under a Vidoc in New Orleans who was homeless. And, and, and for one shining moment for Weber State, they eventually knocked off North Carolina. He had put like 37 points in. Then there was Ari Farouk Benesh of Northern Iowa um, who beat number one overall seed Kansas um, as an eight or nine seed for Northern Iowa. He's now an assistant basketball coach, I think, at Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe Colorado. He's bounced around a little bit, but he's coaching now. But uh, he was like 5'9", and he hit like seven threes. This past year, we had Furman uh, upsetting Virginia, and there were a, it was a 13 over a four, and uh, a Final Four Virginia team with their starting guard from that Final Four championship team a couple years ago inexplicably throws the ball in the air with time running out, made no sense like a kind of play that, that, that I might make, you know, if I'm at, at a wide game and I was throwing it away just because I've got too much pressure on me. And he throws it right to the opposing Furman guy who feeds to a sharp shooter who hits a three that wins the game. Um, the, 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 uh, uh, the, the, the interception by Malcolm Butler at the goal line in the Super Bowl against Russell Wilson in Seattle. Um, that was a big play. The 28-3 comeback by Brady uh, in the Super Bowl to win it in overtime. That was I remember those plays. We had a Jared Goff Mahomes high-scoring Monday night game a couple years ago in the historic Coliseum in LA. I remember that. Uh, I remember Tua uh, Tonga Vailoa a couple uh, last year early against Baltimore with six second-half touchdown passes, 460 plus yards and a come-from-behind win against Baltimore. This past weekend, we did the Chargers and Dolphins. You know, so you remember some of the – and that was a big 450-yard-plus performance by Tungavailo again, 200-plus yards receiving by Tyreek Hill. 
So, yeah, I kind of remember things like that. Uh, now, they'll fade eventually, and it'll take someone to bring, hey, do you remember that game? And I'll have to think, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I do remember that now and what happened. Um, but, but uh, you know, so I, I remember my first NFL game ever back in 1985 when I was 24. Remember that game with Len Dawson for the Chiefs Radio Network. I remember my first NBA broadcast when I was 22 uh, doing that, and I got that job out of college. So, I mean, I, I remember, like, things like that, and it takes a while. But, you know, once a game ends, man, you you pack it away. You're on to the next game. Right. We're on to Cincinnati, right? <laughs> we're, on to the, we're, we're, we're on to the next game. And so I guess I kind of I, I don't erase it uh, and know it was special. But if I'm not getting ready for the next game, then I'm going backwards. And I can't. I, we none of us can afford to go backwards in this business. So I guess I kind of look at it like that. But uh, yeah, lucky with a lot of moments and, and individual performances. You and I have called Kobe. You and I have called LeBron. You and I, you know, are, are, are going to call Wembenyama. We've called Kevin Durant. You know, we've called Curry. Like how lucky have we been to call all these NBA? guys over the years and and now we're calling these nfl players rogers and brady and everybody else and and so we've all got memories and and i guess it just takes a name to kind of spark something but off the top of my head aside from the ones i just mentioned because they happened in the last couple of years i'd have to go back and have to be kind of jolted a little bit with my memory to think about oh yeah that's right that's what happened here's what here's my recollection of it and i'd have to go back like that and in the files to think about what happened. Well, I mean, you've like you said, you've, you've been doing this for so long. I mean, starting when you did getting – and it was the Kansas City Kings, right? That yeah. was your first – Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you grew up in the NFL with, you know, your dad, longtime executive with the Packers, and then, you know, your brother was a longtime public relations chief for the Bears. Did you – and I don't think I've asked you this. Did you always know you wanted to get into broadcasting? Well, not until my dad t- – I wanted to be a, a commercial airline pilot. My dad took a look at my map grades uh, when I brought him home one time when I was in grade school. And he looked at the grade, and he looked at me, and he looked at my math grade as a, like a seventh or eighth grader and looked at me and said, you know, I think I'd, I'd stick with journalism. I think, I, I, think <laughs> I, I think I'd stick with being, you know, in the, in the business. But I, at an early age, yeah, the first voice I really ever remember taking note of that may have sparked that interest was John Facenda narrating – highlights from Super Bowl one so I was about eight or nine years old and remember that and then being around my dad was at the baseball Cardinals too as the as the media relations director during the Bob Gibson Lou Brock uh, Tim McCarver Orlando Cepeda Roger Maris years uh, and and two World Series appearances in 67 and 68 and he used to bring me down there so I'd be in the press box um, when I was like seven or eight years old and I remember distinctly sitting in the back of the box on, on my day was Sunday. We'd go to church. We'd go down to Bush Stadium. We'd have breakfast in the press box, and we'd see the Ben Scullys and the Bob Princes and the Jack Bucks and the Harry Carries come in, uh, you know, get, get a bite to eat before the game. So I saw all these guys. But, you know, at, at eight, seven, eight years old, it really didn't resonate with me. But I'd go sit in their booth and listen to them in the back of the booth. At that time, there was not a lot of security. And because I had a press pass, I could kind of roam around, and I'd go sit in the back of these booths and I remember Buck specifically um, and and then you know followed him clearly once I got to know the voice and the man who was always incredibly kind worked with Joe at Fox so I you know that was a, a, another uh, blessing another wonderful moment to, to, to be with Joe in that first group at Fox when they began the NFL in 94 so you know I, I guess yeah from a pretty early age I kind of knew I used to do games in my room with the doors shut 
off of a TV, used to practice all the time, went to a high school with the radio station, which was, why would a, a high school, in, uh, it was an all-boys Catholic school in Green Bay, why would they have a 10-watt radio station? But they mm-hmm. did, and it broadcast, and I got to start broadcasting there when I was you know, 14 years old. And, um, but, but I'd done all these games in my room, you know, from the time I was about 10 or 11. So, um, yeah, I mean, and then, and then when the Packer home games that work in the press box and used to be a spotter, I was a spotter for Lindsey Nelson when I was like 12 years old, wow. when he'd come in with CBS and Tim Ryan and Jim Simpson, oh, yeah. I remember doing stuff. So anyway, I'm, I'm going on and on, but those, those are, that, that's what really fueled it looking behind the curtain, so to speak what it was like to be in a major league press box, national football league press box and watch these guys and know their lifestyle and the games they were covering. And, and then I kind of thought, well, you know, if I can't be an airline pilot, at least I can travel. And, and, and then I love sports and could do this thing, this, this broadcasting thing, if everything worked out and, and I love the business and the challenge of being in the business. But, but obviously this career that I've had, this life that I've had has exceeded anything that I possibly could have dreamt. I mean, we all dream of something, but to be in this position, I'm sure like you, you just think, my, my goodness, how, how fortunate have I been to, to be able to do the things I dreamt of as a kid? Well, no one will disagree that you're, among your amazing qualities as an announcer is your energy and how you always meet the big moments. One of the other things that, and I'm sure you get asked about this maybe more than anything else, probably similar to, you know, when, when I talk to people or people ask me about broadcasting, it's usually a question about Bill Walton. Like Chris Finch, the Minnesota Timberwolves <laughs> head coach, last year after we did our production meeting with him, he goes, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, uh-oh, I must have said something. Yeah. You know, like he, right, he, right. And he goes, what's it like to work with Bill Walton? I just didn't expect it. What, you, <laughs> I'm sure people ask you a lot about – you calling when when someone, a streaker or whomever, runs onto the field, and you have fun with it, and you call it like, uh, you know, it's the game-winning play in the Super Bowl. Um, like, did, did that just come naturally? Were you like, just, I, I'm going to have fun with this? Um, I, I don't know if, if you even remember how it started, but, I mean, some of those are obviously legendary, and you've gotten a lot of notoriety for it. Well, I had um, I had Dave uh, a time with the Timberwolves. I was their original voice. I was still doing the Chiefs on radio, and this is before I went to ESPN in 1991 to do Big Ten for a couple of years. Before I then went to went to Fox. So I worked with Kevin McHale, the great Celtic, who is from Minnesota, and that's where he settled after he retired. and And the Timberwolves brought him on to be a color analyst on TV games for the Timberwolves. And the Timberwolves, as you recall, back then were god-awful. I mean, you could not watch them. They lost, you know, 50, 60 games every year. They, they always, they just, they just, as all expansion teams do, they, they struggled early. But Kevin McHale was my partner. And, you know, he's got a sense of humor that is uh, probably quite a bit like his former teammate with the Celtics, Bill Walton. And by the way, you handle Walton like only you can and beautifully. And it, it, it is one of the great things in our business to have some kind of a combination that, that really stands out. And that one does. And, and people think it's Walton, but I know it's because of you setting him up and playing the way you do during it. And, and you're a master at that. And that's just the, one of many great traits you have as a broadcaster. But with Mikhail, kind of the same. 
you know, kind of let them go and you start laughing, you'll say stuff that's just like so off the wall. And, and then we would begin to, you know, we'd be down by like 30 points in Philadelphia and we'd start laughing, you know, and we'd, and we'd have to hit the mute button um, to, to, because we laugh. We'd miss like a basket on both ends because we we're laughing so hard and we couldn't talk. <laughs> so we kind of got, I kind of got a little bit of that then. But when I went to the network in 90, well, 91 with ESPN, but then really with with, uh, yeah, with the Fox in 94 when they got the NFL, I kind of shelved that side of me, quite frankly, and was more straight down the middle. And, and, and so it's not until like the last handful of years that I felt comfortable enough to, you know, kind of be more relaxed and have more fun, I guess. You know, you never plan for those kinds of things because you don't know when they're ever going to happen, and rarely do they happen. But, uh, it, again, it was a bad game, and, and, and Kurt Warner and I were doing it on radio, and sure enough, somebody ran on the field in a, in a boring early season Monday night game, and, and we just kind of ran with it. And, and a lot of it was fueled because Kurt was giggling the whole time that we talked about the guy and what he was doing on the <laughs> field. So that has kind of extended a little bit to, uh, to a couple calls like that. It's you know, I, I never want to get uh, pegged as a guy that only can do drunks and wild animals that enter the, <laughs> enter the playing field. <laughs> but, but, but that hopefully just be kind of a part of, of, of what I've done. And, and if people take it, in the, I don't want to offend anybody to show disrespect to the game or the broadcast or my employers or anything like that. I would doubt it's not my intent. But some of these people, as you would attest, you know, you, they're, 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 there's some goofy stuff you see happen during games. Most of it happens in the stands, and sometimes it'll spill out into the field. You see stuff that just like, 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 what is this guy doing? Uh, so anyway, at, at, but I hope people do take it the right way, and, oh, yeah. and I have had fun with it. But, you know, sometimes you can go a little too far, too, and I, I, since the last time that's ever happened, which I think was a Super Bowl a couple of years ago, I've, I've tried to stay away from it and just and kind of stick with the game. <laughs> well, our producer, Jim Omohundro, before you got on, was just playing me the call from the Super Bowl, and I, I was dying <laughs> laughing. I mean, it's so good. Um, well. And then also how you work the sponsors sometimes into it. And I, I didn't hear the other night, but I guess it's a new Westwood sponsor, Honeylicious, and somehow you worked Honeylicious into it, it, a call. It, it's Vicks. It's like Vicks Vapor Rub, and they're trying to describe it. And they and the copy, you know, I look at the copy before, like you do, before games, things you got to read and in-game promos is is what they're and you're pro- promoting a game or out show or whatever. And we were promoting. Um, we, I was reading. This was actually a commercial, but but I had perhaps not you know looked at the words closely enough. So when I read it live on the air, I go, "Honey," I said, "I hope I'm first. Of all, I hope I'm saying it the right way. I should have. I should have looked closer at the copy." And then it came out, and it just sounded weird and funny and. Kurt again giggled when I said it, and so then we kind of got into a thing about that. I, I guess we kind of look at it like like people are eavesdropping on a conversation that Kurt and I might be having on Monday night, and he's got a great sense of humor and is really fun-loving. And, and again, we're, we don't want to disrespect the game, but there are moments of levity, and sometimes it comes out of the commercial copy that you've got to read on the broadcast, and that was one of those, <laughs> one of those instances that happened on Thursday night from the season opener. All right, a couple more, Kev. We'll get you out of here because I think I've kept you longer than I told you I would. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot to talk to you about. Uh, I don't know if you – because now CBS they're, – they're, CBS has more NFC games and Fox has more AFC games. Do you know yet if you'll have any Cardinal games? How far out do you know your schedule? Uh, right now, no. We don't have any Cardinal games, not Monday nor uh, 
And we only find out, kind of like you with ESPN, uh, you know your Cardinals schedule clearly, but um, we're in a world that we don't really know our games nationally until like uh, sometimes a week out, sometimes 13 days out, and we don't know yet when our next Cardinal game will be. Listen, I, we've done Super Bowls in that beautiful building. Um, uh, Kyler Murray, to me, was one of the more fascinating players to come into the NFL. I'm sorry he got injured, and I'm sorry he's still shelved. Um, but um, I, I'd like to think that they've got a, a plan for that team. I know they had a tough one against the Commanders this past weekend. Uh, I always love going down there. I know we got a lot of Suns games. I'm hopeful we get a lot of Cardinal games as well down the stretch. Last one, and this is, you know, I'm purposely bringing this up because um, I, I think a lot of people maybe don't understand that when you go and call a game, that it's not just, you know, you and Kurt or you and Trent Green. It, there's a truck, there's a producer, there's a director, there's a statistician, a spotter. There's so many people, whether it's radio or television, that go into making a broadcast successful. And these people that are behind the scenes often don't get mentioned. But I was so touched last year watching the NCAA tournament by how you and Jim Nance and others talk glowingly about the late Pat McGrath, who was your statistician for a long time and was my statistician on NBA for you know almost two decades. And unfortunately, uh, actually, uh, the day that we were supposed to do a game together uh, in San Francisco passed away. And, you know, it was really – I remember calling you and, and sharing the information because I just – I didn't want – because he was supposed to work the NCAA tournament that week. This was a Monday. He passes away, and and uh, we're trying to figure out, well, how do we let – you know, we want CBS to, to know about it, but we want to be respectful so that it doesn't get out publicly yet. But CBS has to know so they're not wondering where's Pat – uh, when he's supposed to be there to to do uh, the NCAA tournament with with Jim, anything you can share, any fond memory that that you have of of working with Pat, and you know how much he and and others behind the scenes have have meant to you and helped you. Well, we have those kind of people. You and I work with those people all the time. They're they're, they're uh, people that are watching or listening. They don't know them, but for you and I, these are indispensable coworkers who are right there. And we always say before every broadcast. We're all only as strong as our weakest link. You know, you want to make everybody in the truck, everybody upstairs, your engineers, all these people, radio or TV, feel like, you know, their fingerprints are on the broadcast. And as you know, at Pat, who had been in this business, you know, since the 70s, keeping statistics. I mean, he was a legend in the business as a statistician, and his whole life was based on statistics and numbers and traveling and and working, he worked with Jack Buck and Hank Stram on Monday night back in the day. He worked with you and I to, to the time that he, he worked his final games. So um, uh, he he was uh, into this into this business like nobody's business, and he he was a character as most of these people are. It's it's a very nomadic lifestyle. Like Pat would do at, at the height of his career, he was doing a Saturday game, I think, for Brad Nessler on CBS. Then he would drive all night to make a flight to join us on Sunday at CBS. Then he would travel with me uh, probably on, on his beloved American Airlines because that's <laughs> what he loved to fly um, um, to the Monday night game. And then he would have like a Tuesday NBA with me and then a uh, Wednesday or Friday with you. And then he'd start all over again. Like the guy was a maniac. He was doing like five or six games, you know, uh, a week. And he did countless Super Bowls, countless Final Fours. Uh, worked every one of them with Jim Nance. 
um, worked with, with about every broadcaster you can think of. He somehow, some way had worked with them and, and had de- devised a, a, his own format of keeping statistics. And when every once in a while, and you know this better than anybody, he'd hand you a note about some, you know, something. Go, oh, how did you even think about this? But he had, he spends his summers doing all this work about, you know, the teams knows all these things, and he called it sweat equity when there's no season going on, and that's where he would kind of delve into the numbers and make them mean something, and he was great. His mom was a Pan-American reservationist, so as a young kid, uh, Pat had a lifetime pass on Pan Am, uh, which then evolved into both Delta and United as they broke up that that airline, Um, but he had a love of flying, from, uh, and he took advantage of it and flew all over the place. And I think he ended with American Airlines like over 10 million miles. So uh, sometimes uh, he would help us with, with flights, as I'm sure he did with you. Uh, but, but you knew that. So like we would have fun with him. I'll just tell this one short story. We'd have fun with him in the booth. And I was working with Rich Gannon because Rich was, was at a kind of a devilish side to him, too. And I'd say, Rich, let's pretend like you can't get a flight home tonight. Let's see what Pat does. <laughs> so, and he always carried the OAG, which was a thick book that they published once a month with every flight of every airline in all, you know, four corners of the world. And, I, and you know, there'd be a quiet moment before the game, and I'd, I'd slam my fist on the desk and go, on it, I cannot believe you can't fly home tonight on, uh, uh, to Minneapolis to get home. I can't believe you can't find a flight. And then out of the corner of my eye, I'd look over at Pat, and he'd quickly fling open his briefcase <laughs> and start thumbing through that OHG. He goes, well, no, you can. There's a flight on Delta. There's a flight on Northwest. There's a flight on Delta. You know, and, and we just, and we'd laugh and laugh and laugh, and McGrath knew he'd been caught again. Uh, but he knew it. He, he, he was like a walking OAG. They say that, but he was. And, uh, and he was a unique guy and always – uh, you, you know, he never married. He 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 loved his family. Uh, his brother had kids, and and he he really became kind of a father to uh, his nieces, young kids. He kind of served as as the grandfatherly type for them. Um, uh, loved his mom, who passed away unfortunately a couple years ago in her nineties. But his mom was his whole life, and he was uh, he was a special guy. You and I will never work with anyone like him again. And, and thank goodness, because uh, the good Lord made only one Pat McGrath. And, and from Jim Nance to you and luckily to me and, and countless others in this business, they've had a chance to work with him, and, and I know we all feel better for it. Yeah, no question. Before apps, before all the airline apps, there was Pat. He knew, he, he knew everything. <laughs> Speaking of airlines, I know uh, you got a few days at home before you're heading out. you got Buffalo Sunday. And then which Monday night game are you doing? Because I know there's two. Yeah, we they're just going to broadcast one on on Westwood One, so they pick. Uh, I think we're doing the Cleveland. I know we're doing Cleveland Pittsburgh. They they they've got the choice. I think there's another week coming up where they have a choice of games, and and uh, so they they put us on the game that they feel has the most national because it's a national broadcast, national appeal, and so the Steelers and Browns will be this Monday, and, and we'll work our way through. I know you and I have got some preseason games in mid October. We're going to do. And then the season opens up uh, that, that uh, October 24th for us, and I think the 26th for you guys, um, or 25th and maybe 29th for you guys. So, so we, we've got NBA coupled with, with everything else. I, I admire you from afar because these are schedules that are not easy and you're thinking a lot and people don't know what you did this past weekend to go from New Orleans uh, through Newark to get to Washington on a car <laughs> and a late flight and, 
And uh, and so I admire everything. I keep track of you every week, by the way. I always I always look where you are on Saturday <laughs> and then where the Cardinals are on Sunday and think how in the world is – you know, there are only a couple guys that do it. Gene Deckerhoff did it with Tampa Bay. He no longer does Florida State. He just does the Buccaneers. Bill Hillgrove did the, the Pitt Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, not many people combine the college with the pro, uh, but you're one of the last ones that do it, and I'm just amazed every time. Bob and I know, does it with yeah. the Jets. Um, you guys are a special breed, man. That's tough. And they put you in some far-flung areas, and their travel is not easy. So I, uh, I, but I'm always curious to where you are, and I follow you every weekend, and love your work as always. I always sit in my hotel room on Saturday afternoon and watch your college games. I, I, I you know, I, I think people can tell by our conversation. I have uh, as much respect for you as anybody in the business, and love your call. And it, it amazes me how you can get so many college kids in, and they all play right. Invariably, they all play. And, and then you go back and then you do the Cardinal game flawlessly on Sunday afternoons. It, it is a gift, and, and I am uh, always in awe of how you pull that off. It's amazing. Just well, absolutely amazing. <laughs> Likewise, I, again, um, you doing three football games in five days and uh, doing the Sunday-Monday every week uh, and continuing to do it with the energy you do and then, like you mentioned, basketball starting soon – that's you know, I, your passion and energy to me is among other things. I mean, the way you describe it, your radio calls are so descriptive. Your storytelling, how you have fun. I mean, it's all just um, you're a great mentor to me, Kev. I appreciate our friendship, and I, I do appreciate you spending forty minutes with us uh, on the pod. Uh, my honor. Uh, I love you as a friend, Dave, and love you as a broadcaster, and uh, know the kind of family man you are, and the kind of husband you are, kind of son you are, and. Uh, and my life has been made much better by us being uh, together. And I hope, I hope uh, for the next uh, how many years we're in the business at the same time, and you're a little bit younger than I am, but that we, uh, we continue to cross paths and have more meals. We began talking about food. We'll end talking about food and meals. And, and while we enjoy the games, it's the friends we make along the way that, that really make it a rich experience and a blessed experience. But uh, thanks for having me on. Always Great to hear your voice, and I'll be watching you Saturday, and I'll, I'll try to catch your highlights on Sunday and uh, look forward to the next time we do indeed cross uh, paths in person. And uh, it's always fun to give you a hug and say hello and talk about our business and our families. We enjoy that so much. The great Doug Collins, a longtime uh, announcer, former Bulls and Wizards coach who worked with you, and then uh, when he came to ESPN and worked with me, said every play-by-play guy that he's ever worked with is always famished. And I think uh, <laughs> you and I can attest to that. Thanks, brother. Mike Breen, right? He always talked about Breening. He always said Mike was the same. Mike, Mike is always wanting to eat. <laughs> and uh, so, I, listen, I, I bet if, if it's me, you, and him, uh, how lucky am I to be included with two guys like you? Uh, and Doug was, for both of us, a mentor and a friend. And he uh, lives in the Valley. He, he, right? He's, he's right there in, in beautiful uh, uh, Scottsdale. So he's um, – He's always in our thoughts, even though he's, he's, he's retired now and watching from afar. Uh, we love Doug. And, and, Dave, good luck this weekend. I'll be watching. I'll be listening. And uh, how fun to be uh, on with you on your podcast. Thanks so much for the invitation. Obviously, the story about being on hand for the Aaron Rodgers injury is timely, but I got a kick out of the Kurt Warner stuff, too. Kurt grabbing cold hot dogs and hamburgers, cleaning out the press box 
uh, so he can have a, a post-game meal while he studies film for his next assignment, I thought was great. And then just thinking about all of the moments that Kevin has witnessed, going back to calling Kansas City Kings basketball four decades ago, and then growing up in the NFL with his dad, longtime executive, his brother who was with the Bears for a long time. And I just love the fact that Kevin has fun. He doesn't take himself too seriously. The way he handles the sponsor reads during the broadcast, working in Honeylicious into a, a broadcast. He's one of the best and probably one of the most underrated announcers in our business, even though he's multiple broadcaster of the year nationally, still does such a great job, such a high level, always has energy and passion. And I know someone that the fans really appreciate. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Resorts and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod. And we also ask you to rate us and review us. You can do that on your favorite podcast platform. Tell us what you think of the show and if there are any guests you'd like to hear from in the future. Our thanks to Kevin Harlan and our thanks to you for listening to this edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.